0: Second thing is, if you're not aware of it, Josh Lajani and I have a book that is free on Amazon Kindle. It's called Sick to Fit. And if you just go to Amazon and search for Sick to Fit, you'll be able to download it for free and read it on any Kindle-enabled device, even a phone, smartphone, tablet, computer, whatever. All right, let's get to today's episode. This is the Plant Yourself Podcast. I'm Howard Jacobson of PlantYourself.com and WellStartHealth.com. This podcast is part of my mission to help you live a daring and defiant life. So a few months ago at Engine 2's Plant Stock in Black Mountain, North Carolina, I was asked to lead the morning runs. Uh, Big honor. And my job, of course, is to keep everybody together, so not to cater to the fastest or the slowest, but sort of be the the glue that keeps everybody sort of jogging together. And one of the people who came out for the runs was this young woman named Emily Scamla, and she's fit, speedy. She was like pounding out six-minute miles, and we did some hill repeats one day, and she was just smoking me. And so, you know, I figure, you know, she's young, like in her early 20s, whole food plant-based, Fit training, like, okay, so six minute miles, like, what's the big deal? You know, it certainly didn't occur to me that she was plant yourself podcast material. Um, boy, was I wrong. It turns out Emily has been suffering since the age of seven with type two reflex sympathetic dystrophy, RSD, now known in medical circles as complex regional pain syndrome, but we'll stick to RSD since that term, the term Emily uses. And it is a beast of a disorder. Triggered by an innocent-seeming wrist sprain from a gymnastics fall when she was in second grade, Emily's RSD led to changes in her bone and skin, tissue swelling, and extreme sensitivity to touch and constant agonizing pain. So the key feature of Emily's RSD was the constant firing of pain signals from the brain, even in the absence of any sort of physiological damage. And the worst part was the RSD went undiagnosed for 14 years. 14 years of a childhood with this invisible disorder that her doctors didn't recognize or understand. 14 years of living with severe pain that was not acknowledged or explained by anyone. 14 years of fruitless surgeries, prescriptions, and other treatment dead ends. And Emily tried to live a normal life, but the disease took its toll mentally and emotionally as well as physically. She suffered from anxiety and depression, She felt suffocated, she said, a slave to this RSD that was dominating every cell in her body. And then Emily decided to take matters into her own hands, including a whole food plant-based diet and a commitment to physical fitness and exercise that actually turned her into a formidable athlete. So Emily's clear that she's not cured, but the plant-based diet has allowed her to feel healthy from the inside out, even as the pain remains, And this pursuit of physical discomfort through hard athletic training has allowed her to kind of reframe the pain of RSD as good soreness, as the kind of discomfort that leads to growth rather than this gratuitous, horrible thing. And in addition to running lots of marathons and other races, Emily took up boxing and crew, more challenge and more discomfort. And in our conversation, we talked a lot about discomfort and how discomfort can be our worst enemy or our best friend. We compared her RSD with the discomfort of transitioning to a plant-based diet, the physical discomfort of cravings and withdrawing, and the social discomfort of being different from your group. So I am indescribably inspired by Emily and her journey. She's another one of those people who blows my feeble excuses out of the water. I hope you find her story of healing as valuable as I have. If you'd like to watch the video of our conversation, you can just find that at the show notes um dot com slash two nine eight. Anyway, enjoy this amazing human being, and get ready to be real inspired. Without further ado, Emily Scamla, welcome to the Plant Yourself podcast.
1: Hi, I'm so happy to be here.
0: Yeah, I'm happy to help help you share your story because it's it's so amazing. So we we met at Plant Stock in uh, North in Black Mountain, North Carolina, this past summer. And we we ran together in the morning and you you smoked me good. (laughs) And I just assumed that you were like one of these, you know, runner chicks like, uh, you know, you've been running since the age of four and winning all these races. And that's what I told myself to make myself feel better anyway. And then we chatted and you you shared that your story was actually quite different. So so let's let's just jump in with it.
1: Okay, well, first, I just want to kind of introduce myself. Um, like you said, my name is Emily. Um, currently, I'm a senior in college. I'm 21. I live in um, part-time Pennsylvania, part-time Florida. Right now, I'm in Florida. It's so amazing and warm. Um, I'm a vegan. I'm an avid runner, and I'm a chronic pain sufferer, which um, I think is the basis of our conversation and how we connected. Um, so, I'm, again, I'm very fortunate to be on your podcast, so thank you.
0: Yeah, so I'm going to uh I'm going to Florida tomorrow. What's, so uh I'll be in Sarasota. How's the what should I pack? So
1: It's actually getting chilly for Florida, so you know, in the high seventies.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. Okay, good. So I can travel light.
1: <laughs> yes. Okay. Great. So I'll just start. Um I kinda wanna talk about first my disorder and kind of break it down and explain what it is.
0: Yeah, that's great.
1: So I have a condition called RSD, or reflexive sympathetic disorder. It can also be referred to as complex regional pain syndrome, which is what it's normally referred to as. Um, But I was diagnosed at a young age, and at that time it was called RSD, so I might refer to it as that. Conditions are usually characterized by severe burning or pain, and they affect usually one of your extremities, such as your arm, your leg, or your hand, or even your feet. So there are pathological changes in the bone and in my skin. So I experience excessive sweating, uh, tissue swelling, and extreme sensitivity to touch, which is called allodynia. Um, I suffer specifically from type two RSD, which means that there was a high velocity impact at the site of the injury, and that is associated with my nerve injury. So my key symptoms are intense pain that is way out of proportion to the severity of my initial injury. Mm. It affects my wrist, my palm, um, the top of my hand, all the way up to my shoulder, into my neck, and I'm having problems with my back um, and kind of my left shoulder in general.
0: Uh huh. And so you you mentioned that there was initial injury. So this was this wasn't something you were born with. It's something that happened as a result of a trauma.
1: Right. So usually RSD is an occurrence of a initial sprain, fracture, or break. So I was seven years old when I sprained my wrist in a gymnastics tournament. And um, basically, I just fell halfway through a movement. And it was a minor sprain. However, that initial injury started my long journey with chronic pain.
0: Hmm. So do, do we know? Was there a genetic predisposition or just like weird something that just happened?
1: Right. So RSD is very rare and there was no... There's no genetic predisposition for like this specifically. Mm -hmm. Um, It is every patient that usually falls under the RSD spectrum has had an initial injury and then their pain gets worse as they get older.
0: Uh So given that it's rare, were people just thinking you were crazy or trying to get attention?
1: Well, right. It's really hard, especially when you're young um, to have an invisible disorder. Because my doctors didn't understand my severity of pain, my you know friends and family were confused. So for about fourteen years, I didn't, I wasn't diagnosed. So oh. it was a myth- Yeah. <laughs> so it was a long process, um, which is actually something that RSD patients should not have to go through because it takes um, about six months to two years in that time, if you're not diagnosed, then you will have very limited opportunities to be able to get rid of your pain or to heal. So because I could not find a doctor or a specialist who even had a suggestion that it could be RSD, and it, they didn't put me through the right testing, it took 14 years to discover and be diagnosed, which then led to me having to deal with this Insanely painful lifestyle that can't be
0: reversed. Mm. So, so there is there is testing. What sort of testing is, there, is available? What are they looking for?
1: Well, you're really looking for excessive sweating, um, hair growth patterns that are different than your other arm, nail grow length, and then um, sensitivity to the heat or the cold. So, when I'm in a cold environment, my arm will feel frozen, mm-hmm. um, and other arm will feeling cold, but there's a significant difference. So there's um, there's sweat tests that you could go through, and then there's simple observational tests. RSD is very hard to um, diagnose.
0: Mm-hmm. And I guess especially that it's so rare that people aren't taught to look for it. Correct. Yes. So what sort of what sort of treatments were you getting for those 14 years when people didn't have a clue?
1: Um, For a while, I was going back and forth between physical therapists because my, you know, original initial injury was a sprain. So most of the doctors felt that my sprain had not healed properly. I also had two significant surgeries that led to increased amount of pain. Um, As an RSC sufferer, you don't, you want to avoid any surgery. And I was not aware of that um, because any even touching my arm is painful. So anything that invasive is going to increase your pain a hundred times fold. So yeah, I didn't have a good experience with seeing doctors and the physical therapist didn't help. And they weren't specialized for RSD. um, So I did not get the right treatment. And it was a lot of going back and forth between seeing doctors, um, not making any improvements, quitting, and then having too much pain to just sit and do nothing.
0: Mm -hmm. So what changed the day you got your RSD diagnosis?
1: A lot changed. Um, I realized that, well, my first surgery happened before I knew, and my second surgery happened after. So I think once I was diagnosed, I think it's important to understand that at the time when I was diagnosed, I wasn't. I was still kind of naive to what um, the tremendous amount, amount of trial and error that RSC patients have to go through. We have mm. to do a lot of intensive uh, therapy that wasn't in my, you know, wheelhouse. I, was, I didn't want to do it. I was young, and I, felt, I kind of felt buried um, with all the suggestions that I was getting, and no one was telling me. Um, specifically, you know, how do I make this go away when I want it to go away? Um, so for a while it took me some time to grasp the idea that this pain wasn't going to go away. It was all about how do I manage it mentally and how do I continue to make myself strong so that I'm not incredibly weak, um, as the pain spreads throughout my body.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, So, you know, watching you run and watching you do hills, it seemed like, you know, you were, you were handling, like I was in pain from that workout, (laughs) right? (laughs) So, so I had no idea that you, you know, have this, this added layer that I, you know, can't even uh, comprehend what, what? Like what, what, are, what, are the, the, what are the standard treatments that weren't working and what did you find that started to actually help?
1: Um, I decided to try two drugs, two pain drugs. Um, and the one was Neurotin. And actually when I first tried it, I lost almost half of all of my hair and I got extremely sick on both drugs. That was the first path I decided to take because most RSD patients, when they're diagnosed, are um, 60 years old like they'll have an initial injury because they're more prone to um, falling Mm -hmm. so because I wasn't my initial injury was when I was so young and my diagnosis was so long after I didn't have the capacity to understand and I didn't I just wanted a quick fix. So drugs was the first thing that I um, experienced and nothing worked. I got very sick. I might've had a little bit of relief from the pain, but it wasn't significant and it didn't outweigh my other side effects. Um, Like I said, I then tried, before I knew I was diagnosed with RSD. I tried um, a surgery to look for a possible cyst um, and there was nothing. And my second surgery was three years ago And I knew I had RSD, but I was exhausted from no relief. And the drugs weren't working. And it was taking a toll on me mentally. I was very depressed. I went through um, a lot of mental battles up and down because of my pain and not being able to manage it. And because it's an invisible disorder, people don't understand. I can look so healthy and vibrant and be doing you know activities and playing sports but i'm not i'm still very sick and it's hard to mentally adjust to that
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, so the second surgery i just decided i will look for you know i will do an exploratory surgery so my pain specialist recommended that he just he would go in and he would look for anything that might be causing discomfort such as inflammation unfortunately there was nothing, you know, there's nothing wrong with my hand. Um, So I had, so I went back to that. Okay, I have RSD. RSD, there's nothing wrong with your hand. Your initial injury has healed. Your brain, you're not, no longer sending signals that your your injury has healed. So I'm constantly firing pain signals, constantly, constantly, constantly firing pain signals. Um, without relief and there will, there won't be relief. So I have tried those. I was told that, you know, right where I am now, my next step, if I wanted to pursue pain relief would be a spinal implant. And I've decided against that because how about active I've become, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of side effects and that's not something that I want to have to deal with. So right now, there's no there's nothing unless i would want to go back to medication so no. it's learning about managing the pain it's learning about how do i make everything else in my body healthy and strong so that the pain i can outweigh it and it just becomes a part of everything else like when i work out and i push myself and i become so sore i've trained my brain to acknowledge my arm and uh, shoulder pain as part of this soreness, and that it's making me stronger. Mm. So that's, I had it, it's all in the mindset. There's nothing else I can do other than take drastic measures um, to have any pain relief.
0: Gotcha. So, how does your diet play into this?
1: My diet, and you know, it took me a while. My veganism journey was not. You know, all of a sudden I was whole food plant based. I was, um, you know, a vegan junk food for a while during the time that I suffered with some anxiety and depression over everything that was going on. But once I transitioned and my health became pristine and I was able to feel healthy from the inside out, I didn't focus as much on just feeling so sick and tired all the time because my pain, when it's constantly firing, and all you feel is pain all the time, and you're eating bad—even if you're eating vegan junk food—you just you can't feel good. It's, it was impossible to ever feel good. So changing my diet allowed me to feel amazing. Change so many things, so many aspects of my life, and that, in return, I was able to handle my pain.
0: Mm-hmm. so it sounds like it's, it's not like the linear relationship like I, like I want the story to be you went vegan and your pain went away <laughs> right that's not, that's not how it happened
1: no no I mean I would love to sit here and say that I went vegan and my pain went away but I think more importantly because I still have pain and a lot of people might experience something like this it doesn't matter anymore that I feel pain it's all about how I changed my mindset how I changed my body I was very sick I was a very sick person and I couldn't I couldn't even get up I couldn't shower and being a vegan especially a whole food plant-based vegan which I cannot talk about enough that's so important I've found success in athleticism being mentally stable and feeling happy for the
0: first time in a long time. Hmm. So n- knowing that it's your brain is basically lying to you, right? Correct. Right. There, there's no pain, but your brain, like, does that, does that help in some way to, you know, I'm like, I'm almost like, I'm trying, I yeah, obviously I can't imagine what your experiences are, but I'm just, I'm trying to extrapolate to like, You know, listening to a radio station that's spouting hate and lies, and I get to choose. Like, oh yeah, it's saying all those things, but I don't have to believe it. Is there a way that you sort of distance yourself, or or uh, disregard or minimize those those pain signals? Even you know, because they're real and they're also lies. You know what I'm what I'm asking?
1: I do. I. It took me a long time because I wanted to be my hand I wanted to not write I wanted to not have to raise it above my head you know you for a long time I couldn't cut my own food and I just thought that this was the way you know it hurts so bad I'm going to baby it because that's what I need to do but on the contrary when I learned about RSD and kind of the science behind it I started to understand that it's not there's no physical ailment I have pain, but it's okay to use my arm. I actually just took up boxing, and it is the most, you know, excruciating pain I've ever felt, but there's nothing wrong with me, so I kind of have to think about it. It's all a mental battle. I have to think about it as if it's soreness or, you know, just power through, so
0: Hmm. it's
1: it's definitely not easy. And you know, I'm still learning how to deal with it. There are days where the pain, you know, encompasses me, and I have off days. But it's far to none compared to where I was.
0: Hmm. And, and what what I'm hearing, and we, you know, I teach this to people. There's, there's so many people who, you know, are fine and yeah. and fear pain. They, you know, and they fear like going for a run because of how it's going to make them feel the, the soreness, the, the, uh, you know, the burning in the lungs, the, you know, the, maybe the pain of yeah. footfalls, like people are terrified of discomfort and, and, you know, hearing you talk about like it, it, it already hurts. So why not like get something useful out of the hurt? Yeah, I
1: actually, that's, I'm glad you brought that up about being uncomfortable because everything I've done to get to where I am now was extremely uncomfortable. And I do feel like a lot, our society, no one wants to be uncomfortable. And that, that plays a role in veganism and it plays a role in, like you said, athleticism. No one wants to feel uncomfortable. Everyone has ulterior motives and they'll do whatever they can so that they're comfortable. So the fact that I haven't been comfortable in so long and my mind has my mindset has developed into okay, what else can I do to make myself uncomfortable? (laughs) Because it will balance everything else out. And I know that might not be how other people think, but if you're you know, if you wanna be a vegan, if you wanna transition to a plant based diet, it is uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable on every level socially you know physically you might see changes you might you know get a lot of backlash but in order for us to progress personally or not you need you need to feel uncomfortable and i've i've embodied that and that's how that's how i deal and i dealt with everything that was thrown at me so
0: oh. yeah
1: yes it's hard but like you said people don't want that they just want to feel comfortable and they want they want it now and they want they want what they want and you just have to push yourself and if you're able to if your body allows yourself to do things like go for a run why would you why would you not want to and if your body allows yourself to eat plant foods and become the healthiest individual and feel great in your body in every way why would you not want to even though it's uncomfortable at first
0: yeah i mean what i what i hear you saying is like you you're going to be uncomfortable and you can either waste it or yeah. you can you can spend it on benefits
1: yes i mean there's i know now i'm kind of addressing veganism but people if you take these steps you can learn about the common misconceptions you know like what I was aware of was, you know, I would feel weak. I would have an iron deficiency. I would lose my hair. I'd have thyroid problems. But that's not caused by eliminating animal products. It's by, you know, under eating, consuming processed foods, having a damaged digestive system. So because I changed my diet, I felt like I was cheating at life, even though I had, you know, external things that didn't have to do with my diet. Causing me pain, um, but I'm able to have limitless energy and smooth digestion, and I radiate happiness. And I know I'm making the right changes for myself, you know, in the environment. So everything else becomes mundane to me.
0: Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm real curious. You mentioned that you would had sort of depression and anxiety issues, and there were you know days you couldn't raise your arm or cut your own food or take a shower. Um, and now, you know, looking at you, you're, you know, (laughs) you're, you're amazing in, in, in the things that you're exploring that most people wouldn't, wouldn't do. How has that impacted the people around you who've known you through this whole process?
1: Well, I think people are first confused because, um, it's only been one year that I've been officially whole food plant based. I've been vegan for three years, but, You know, people thought my vegan... First of all, my friends and family do not understand the capacity of RSD. And I understand completely that it's something that is blind to them and myself. But when I became vegan, I became myself more than ever um, because I was able to, like I said, handle these external factors. So I think my family was happy and, you know, now I'm this... You know, whole food, plant based vegan. And I just, I'm, I think they're very happy for me. <laughs> but yes, my, I was depressed for a while. And I think it's important to talk about because um, I think a lot of people are. And I didn't, I felt suffocated. You know, when you're depressed and you have anxiety, at the height of it, it spread through my entire life and into every cell in my body and you're a slave to it. And I thought that I had to be perfect and, you know, perfectionism doesn't exist. So I'm putting on this happy face, but I'm struggling. And I felt so alone
0: yeah. and I
1: didn't, didn't know there was so much going on that I couldn't handle.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm really curious where the perfectionism came from. Cause I, you know, looking in for, from the outside, to see your disability and to see all you know, all your all you have really good excuses to fail at stuff. Right. If any if anyone has a good excuse to not excel, like, like, oh, I couldn't do my homework. I couldn't lift my pen. I didn't study or, you know, whatever. Like, like, you know, I would have milked those excuses for all they were <laughs> worth. Where does perfectionism where did perfectionism creep in in the midst of all that?
1: I think because I let my pain um, take, take over me for so long and I was a slave to my pain. I, whenever I you know went to college, I wanted to be healthy and I wanted to thrive like everyone else I was looking at.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I didn't feel like I could baby myself or my pain anymore. I wanted to, know, be healthy and I wanted to express myself and be able to act, you know, normal in social situations and not have this, you know, depression inside of me or this anxiety over can, you know, they they don't understand how I feel. And I had, I kind of needed to understand that they, they wouldn't. So perfectionism came from, it was me putting it on myself and wanting to better myself for, you know, f- first of all, for other people. But I didn't feel like I was doing myself justice.
0: hmm. So the perfectionism, it sounds like it was about making yourself better for others rather than making yourself better for yourself.
1: Yeah. And, you know, my obviously that has changed and developed into wanting to do things and being mentally healthy for myself. But I know a lot of college students feel this way. I know my friends felt this way and I was unaware of it. Everything becomes heightened and my stress levels naturally went through the roof. So of course, everything else would, you know, fall into place with that.
0: So when you when you felt increased anxiety and stress did that exacerbate the pain?
1: It does. And you know, it's it's proven that that will increase any pain. So my my pain um, went through the roof and I was dealing with having to um, excel in my academics, which is, you know, hard as someone who can barely write. Um, so everything, everything seemed as though it was falling apart. And I think that's where my depression kind of came in because I felt as though if I didn't take control, my life was going to unravel into you know, complete unhappiness because of these external situations and, and I couldn't handle them. Mm-hmm. So I to, sorry, I had to just kind of think to myself, I want to fully live my life. I don't want to live how I'm living. And it took a long time for me to develop that into something that was tangible.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, I'm sort of playing with this, this irony on like two levels. One is that, like what you wanted to do in college, what anyone wants to do is sort of fit into a social group and be normal. And so, you know, I'm just trying to imagine like having to have this, you know, just have to decide, do I have this conversation with this person? Do I have it now? Do I get to know them better? Do I need to have it at all? What about dating? What about all those, you know, the issues of of just physical touch and affection? And... Right. Um... and wanting to be perfect for to to keep those conversations at bay, so they wouldn't need to happen, actually made it worse. Of course,
1: yeah. And um, actually, my first semester as a freshman, like you said, I was trying to figure out how to fit in. So the first thing I did was um, sign up to try out to be a novice rower for an NCAA uh, team. And this is from you know never working out not having a clue how to how to row in um, having all this pain that I decided I would hide. Um, so it was definitely something that ended up not working out. Um, but I did row for a year and it, it allowed me to kind of assess, OK, this is how I want my college to go. I want people to see me in this light and that that way I can hide everything else that's going on. So I definitely used it as a cover-up, although it was the beginning of um, my really hard uh, college experience with depression and anxiety and uh, the pain.
0: Mm. Yeah. And the, the other level of irony I'm finding is, so what you're describing in terms of sort of alienation from the peer group you wanted to be a part of is kind of how most people think about and fear going whole food plant-based like to think like if I do this thing, then I'm going to be uncomfortable in social situations. I'm going to be ostracized or I'm, I'm not going to be able to eat with anyone anymore. I'm going to have to. Right. And for, and for you, like that had been your life before you went whole food plant-based.
1: It was. And, you know, I did isolate myself on purpose, but I also naturally isolated myself because when I started to express my pain and take control. Um, You know, when I started to slowly become a vegan, when I started to run, to the people that I was associated with, you know, that was uncomfortable for them. So whenever you're the person making changes, especially the, the significant people around you, they are gonna feel uncomfortable. So it wasn't, I didn't feel, I didn't put those feelings or pressures on myself because I knew that I had to do what I needed to do and people are going to feel that way. And, you know, to this state, those same people don't understand what I'm about, what this whole lifestyle is. Um, but it's, it's about you. It's a personal choice that affects more than you could even think about. It affects your world. So you need to just think about yourself. Um, it's definitely hard. I struggled with it for a while
0: yeah I mean it's you know listening to your story I want to come back to this idea of like people who who start running or exercising and feel- like we try to teach people the difference between like pain or discomfort and damage and mm-hmm. it's like by by that definition like it it sounds like the things you do to yourself that cause you pain aren't necessarily causing any damage right that you're that your your body is working normally on the physical level there's just sort of this this signal that's going off and let's like, you know it's like you have like the most the world's most advanced degree in discomfort
1: yeah I do and I don't think there's a way to explain to someone how I'm not overdoing it or damaging myself because when I talk about it it might sound like I'm pushing a, a disorder or a pain that shouldn't be pushed but That's the that's the kink with RSD. You you need to be able to work through it and you need to be able to live your life. So when people think that, you know, that's me hurting myself even more, um, I have to try and remember that I know how I'm feeling and I know what I'm doing. Actually, after my last marathon that I ran, I hurt my foot and I was in a boot for eight weeks Um, because of severe tendinitis and when it healed and the MRIs were all beautiful I still had a little bit of residual pain
0: and I had to remind
1: myself that you need to learn how to distinguish between RSV pain and there's something wrong pain
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, because with this condition it's most likely going to spread to other areas and remember they're after initial injuries So it's those kind of things that, you know, I have to learn how to distinguish from. But then once I realize there's nothing wrong, it's okay, you're not hurting yourself. Then I think, oh, and I push myself, you know, in other ways. So like when I run, like I've been running some strong six minute miles, I am in so much pain and I'm sore and everything hurts while you're doing it. Running is one of the most painful things I do. Because my shoulder and my arm, um, the repetitive motion is very painful. But I'm not hurting myself. And this is me compensating for the years and years of feeling not strong and not healthy and not able to do what I want to do. Hmm.
0: So I, I pulled up um, a, a website based on a Google search. It's the RSDS .org, so supporting the, uh, the the CRPS RSD community and I'm wondering you know I haven't spent any time on it but I'm, I'm wondering you know if you communicate with other other people with this condition and do they understand your approach to like you know running hurting yourself going plant-based or are you an outlier in that community too um, honestly
1: I haven't reached out to communities online, but for a while I was a part of a pain specialist institution called the Pittsburgh um, Pain Institution, and it's it was for children, and this is where a lot of toddlers to middle schoolers were were being diagnosed with RSD at such an early age that then, then they were treated for their pain, and they had a bright future ahead because it's easily treated when it's first diagnosed. So I became involved with these people. And, you know, obviously they were young and I couldn't fully communicate. But it was very helpful for them to see me and to see how much at that time I was struggling. And I think I motivated them to, you know, do your at-home exercises and, you know, listen to your doctor and, you know, their kids. But you need to, I just needed to be aware. I haven't taken it that next step in, you know, found communities, but, you know, that's, it's important for other people to know that it's out there, and I think it's important for these communities to become larger and larger, so doctors and specialists can also be reminded of the condition and to look for it in their patients, because, like I said, I went through many specialists, and they didn't know how to look for um, this kind of disorder or know about it in any way.
0: Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So you see you're, you're a senior in college, right yeah. now. So do you? I hated this question when I was a senior in college, but I'm not asking you because of that. But I'm asking you because of your life experience so far. Do you have a do you have plans like to, you know, like, to do anything, you know, like, what do you want to do with, with your life, given what you what, what you know, and what you've experienced?
1: Um, Well, for a while uh, now, I wanted to be a commercial, a professional commercial pilot. Um, And during the beginning of when that dream kind of became reality and I was getting my um, FFA medical certification, I wasn't allowed because I was taking, you know, drugs for anxiety and drugs for, at the time, my wrist. And it took me a long time to, you know, wean off of all of that and to become healthy and strong. So that's something I'm very excited for. I do. I'm graduating with a degree in public health, which I think is amazing and very applicable to what I'm interested in. But I hope to turn that around and go to school to be a pilot.
0: Wow. Uh, yeah. So, you, you don't you don't have to jo- do you have to join the Air Force to do that?
1: No, I'm gonna to go to um, like a community school that have their own aviation program. Um, it will take about nine months to get my ratings, and then like a year and a half to get my hours, and then I'll be set to interview for um, regional airlines. So.
0: Gotcha. So as you go yeah. out into the world and meet people, um, you know, we 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 spoke about your RSD. Um, You know, partly because I'm a nosy podcaster and I just want to know everything yeah. about everybody. But I'm wondering, like, how public are you, you know, if you were to, I don't know, wherever you'd go to talk about it or simply, you know, just live your life your way?
1: So am I, like, willing to talk about my disorder? Is that what you're...
0: Well, I mean, I know you're willing to because you're <laughs> you're doing it here. Yeah. But, but in terms of, like, what's what is the... Like do do like if you're in a study group, and you're just meeting a group of people in a new class, do you talk about it? Do you mention it? Uh, you know, like um, how how you know, like I have a Nike swoosh on my shirt. Do you have like an RSD swoosh that people can? No,
1: I think, I mean, where I'm coming from, I'm not. I can't speak for other RSD sufferers, but I just want to be a part of everyone else and I, I don't want to have a label if if it comes up and I'm asked about it or you know if I say, Oh, my wrist really hurts, I need to take a break, I'm very open to discussing it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But you know, I feel great and I don't I don't want other people to, to think of me in that way. And I know it's completely fine and chronic pain is something we should all talk about. And it's not anything to be, you know, ashamed of. But I don't, I don't think it's necessary, and you know, <laughs> I'm mm-hmm. happy keeping it on the down low.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. So, I guess my my last question, I haven't, you know, it might be a jerky question, in which case you can just say so. And, but I'm I'm wondering, it's it's given this this horrible condition has given you such insight and clarity and wisdom. I'm wondering, like, do you ever are you ever like a little bit grateful for it or wonder who or what you'd be if it had if if things had gone in a different direction?
1: Yes, I I'm definitely grateful. I'm not, you know, obviously, I don't wish this upon anyone, but it made me take necessary steps to heal the rest of my body. I don't think I'd be running or boxing or uh, teaching spin classes Uh, I don't know if I would be a vegan. (laughs) Hopefully I would have found it and, you know, transitioned. But I'm thankful that I have a story that I think other people can relate to. Even if they don't have such a chronic pain or pain at this level, everyone's dealing with something. And it's just how our society is. We're riddled with mental um, health issues and physical issues and even simple things like digestion. Like everyone... I talked to has a problem with digestion, I think because I have so much knowledge about veganism and, you know, now I can talk about athleticism. It's changed the trajectory of how my journey is. So I am grateful for my journey as a whole.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, because I, I can feel, you know, that this conversation is going, I'm going to carry it with me on my next run where I feel like quitting. Yeah, you know, you know I'm I'm, list- I'm just finishing um, Scott and Jenny Jurek's book North about their you know record-breaking Appalachian Trail thing. And just near the end, there's this guy who comes to basically to you know toughen him up to this like he's been you know broken down by 40 days on the trail. And this guy yeah. that he's talking about um, had not only been awake for 127 hours without sleep, so he understood sleep deprivation. He'd also like. Cut off his own arm without Mm. anesthesia to escape from a boulder. And, and like Scott was saying, like, this is the guy who could speak with authority about the things that I needed to hear. And I feel like you, you have that in like really important ways that, that you're, you're carrying something in a very sort of intense, expanded way that's, that you've gone to the, you know, the darkest hole and back and brought this gift for the rest of us.
1: I mean, I hope that's how other people can look at it. I'm I'm really grateful that, you know, that's how it comes off because it was not an easy experience, but, you know, it was well mm-hmm. worth it.
0: Wow. Wow. Um, any final words or thoughts or anything you wanted to share with us that we didn't get to yet?
1: so uh during this time i do have in under construction um a site where i have more about veganism more about rsd and a lot about my athleticism because that's something that i'm developing Mm. and i i have a lot of goals for that um so if you know your followers want and the listeners want to email me about anything any questions any advice any stories i would be grateful to read them. Um, my email is E-R, my last name Scamla, S-K-A-M-L-A, at Gmail. Okay. And you can find me at Instagram on M, my last name again, and that's E-M-M-S-K-A-M-L-A. And I'll be producing um, my kind of uh, influencer site that's going to be out soon so I can interact with people, and especially people my age. I welcome anyone who's struggling with anything. I have a long list and I have a lot that I a lot of wisdom I can impose. So anyone and everyone is welcome. I would love to talk to some people and help other people on this journey as well, because it's never too late. We can all make that switch. You know, it's not the end for anyone.
0: Mm. Wow. Sorry, so I'll put I'll also post those in the show notes, erscamla at gmail.com and emmscamla on Instagram. So uh, you can get them here or get them at the show notes. Um, I don't know what show this will be yet, but if you just search for SKAMLA in the top box on the right, on the search box, they will find you.
1: Thank you. And I just want to say one more thing that I guess the takeaway that I would want people to know the most is that I found how to live and living is such a magical thing, and most people just exist. So, whatever it is, find what makes you feel you're living.
0: Mm, beautiful. And, and, um, which, which for no reason reminds me that this is, we're also videotaping this. So, assuming that the file works out, it will be up on YouTube so people can, can also get the benefit of, of your radiant smile, um, <laughs> as, as, as well as the, you know the 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 hopeful and beautiful timbre of your voice.
1: Amazing! Thank you so much.
0: Yeah, Emily Scamla. Thank you so much for for sharing this journey and for all the 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 light and hope and love you bring into the world. I'm uh, I'm honored to spend this time with you.
1: I am too. Thank you.
0: All right. How was that for an instructive and inspirational conversation, man? I love doing this podcast. If you enjoyed this episode of the Plant Yourself podcast a 10th as much as I did, and you'd like to support our mission, you can subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. You can also share this on social media and you can become a patron of the show. Just go to plantyourself.com, search on the right sidebar for the Patreon link, and you can help to support the mission. If you're new to the show, you can catch up on 297 archived episodes over at plantyourself.com. And if you'd like to Read the show notes for today's episode and watch the, uh, the YouTube of our interview. You can do that at plantyourself.com slash 298. So Well Start Health is doing another cohort. We're starting in January, so you can sign up now and we can drip you little tidbits to help you prepare for getting a clean start on the new years. Uh, you just go to wellstarthealth.com, uh, click on program, and you can then click apply and no obligation. Just uh, let us know you're interested, and we'll confirm all the details with you after the application process, and hopefully get you up and running for a fantastic 2019. No garden news to speak of this week. On uh, Running news on Thanksgiving morning. Did a strong 14 miles with Geo on a hilly terrain. Felt real good about that. And the last couple of days, I've been doing you know, the usual six-mile stomps. All right, so let's do the thanks and get this one in the can and out into the world. Thanks, of course, to Will Hour. Let's hear it. Sabali Don, the dance of peace, the theme music for the show. Check out com for more of his beautiful Chora music. And, of course, thanks to all of you Plant Yourself podcast patrons, the people who help make this show happen every single week, as in... Kim Harrison and McClellan, Anthony Disson, Brittany Porter, Dominic Marrow, Barbara Whitney, Tammy Black, Amy Good, Amanda Hatherley, Mary Jane Wheeler, Alan Kennelly, Melissa Cobb, Rachel Barons, Christine Nilsen, Tina Sharp, Tina Ahern, Jen Volianovsky, David Vizek, The Mysterious, Michelle X, Elspeth Feldman, Victoria Dolom, Leia Stoller, Alan Christensen, Colleen Peck, Michelle Andrew, Josina, Julianne Rowland, Stu Sarah Durkis, from the Circus, Kelly Cameron, Wayne Pedersen, Leanne Peterson, Janet Selby, Claire Adams, Tom Franzak, Jeanette Bedden, Gila Serte, David Donahue, Blair Seibert, Dorona Vizov, g and Carolyn Argentati, Jody Friesen, Ruth Ann Rose, and Funderburg, Misha Rosen, Michael War the Equally Mysterious, Tracy Z, Alicia Lemus, Rebecca Hughes, Val Lineman, Rhymes with Cinnamon, Nick Harper, Stephanie Holmes Martha Bergner, Nicole Ramsey, Susan, Ahmad, Molly Levine, the inscrutable Harry R. Susan, Laverty, The Panda, Vegan, Craig Kovic, Adam Sharp, Karen Burry, Heather Morgan, Lashie, Corcoran, Kelly Machia, Dean Norton, Bonnie Lynch of Plant, Happy Oregon, Sabina Kurtzels, Nigel Davies, Marion Blum, Teresa Kopel, Shell Rudless, Julian Watkins, Breed O'Connell, Brian Sheridan, Shannon Hirschman, Kate Rolls, Linda Ayat, Julie Lang, Home Head of Gardiza, Tuzan, Wakani, Heinlein, Aaron Greer, Alicia Davis, Aviva Lahel, Heather O'Connor, Carolyn Jensen, Cherry Larkoski of Plant Power for Health, Karen Smith, Scott Mirani, Karen and Joe Crabtree, Tanya Lewis, Kirby Burton, Teresa Carell, Kevin McCauley, Elizabeth Rothschild, Kelly Baker Miracle, and Jesse, Cheryl Dwyer, Jenny, Jenny Hazleton, Valerie Peltier, Peter W. Evans, Colleen Harrison, Justine Divitt, Joshua Sommermeyer, Dennis Byrd, Darby Kelly, Lori Fanny, Linnea Lundquist, Valerie Hummel, Deb Cassia, Emily I. Kennelly, Levy Wallach, Rosamund McAtee, Dan McCorney, Stephen Leanen, Patty V. Martino, Mike and Donna Kartz, Deanne Bishop, Billbury Elf, Gunter Schmidt, Marjorie Lewis, and Kelly Molden. For your generous support of the podcast. That's it for this week. As always, be well, my friends. All right, time for thanks. Thanks to Will Ridenauer for allowing me to use his beautiful song, Sabali Dawn, The Dance of Peace. You can find more of Will's music at his website, willreidenauer.com. And of course, thanks to all of you Plant Yourself Podcast patrons. Kim Harrison, Lynn McClellan, Anthony Disson, Brittany Porter, Dominic Maurer, Barbara Whitney, Tammy Black, Amy Good, Amanda Heatherly, Mary Jean Wheeler, Ellen Kennelly, Melissa Cobb, Rachel Barons, Christine Nielsen, Tina Sharp, Tina Ahern, Jen Filikonofsky, David Vizek, The Mysterious, Michelle X, Elspeth Feldman, Leah Stoller, Alan Christensen, Colleen Peck, Michelle Andrews, Zosina, Sarah Durkis, Runs with Circus, Kelly Cameron, Wayne Pedersen, Janet Selby, Kara Adams, Frank Fronzek, Jeanette Benham, Gil Assert, David Donna Blair Cybert, Toronto, Viso, Gio and Carol Argetati, Jody Friesner with Anne Funderburg, Michelle Rosen, Michael Warbeck... The equally mysterious Tracy Z, Aviva Lael, Alicia Lemus, Rebecca Hughes, Val Lineman, Rhymes with Cinnamon, Nick Harper, and Martha Bergner, Susan Amon, Molly Levine, The Inscrutable, Harry R, Susan Laverty, The Pandavian, Craig Kovic, Adam Scharf, Karen Burry, Heather Morgan, Kelly Machia, Diane Norton, Bonnie Lynch, Plant Happy Oregon, Sabina Kurtzels, Nigel Davies, Marion Blum, Teresa Copel, Julian Watkins, Reed O'Connell, Channel Hirsch, Shannon Hirschman, and Ayat, Holm Hedegaard, Isa Tuziwakani, Hainline, Aaron Greer, Alicia Davis... Heather O'Connor, Carolyn Jensen, Sherry Olakoski, of plant powered for health, Karen Smith, Scott Marani, Karen and Joe Crabtree, Tanya Lewis, Kirby Burton, Teresa Carell, Kevin McCauley, Liz Rothschild, and Jesse, Cheryl Dwyer, Jenny Hazleton, Valerie Peltier, Peter W. Evans, Colleen Harrison, Justine Divitt, Joshua Sommermeyer, Dennis Bird, Darmy Kelly, Laurie, Fannie, Linane Lundquist, Valerie Hummel, Emily Iaconelli, Levy Wallach, Rosamond McEntee, Dan McCorney, Stephen Lehman. Pettie Martino, Mike and Donna Carson, Diane Bishop, Bill Brielf Gunter Schmidt, Marjorie Lewis, Kelly Molden, Trisha Adams, Ian Kramer, Nancy Sheldon, Lindsay Bashar, Gun marie Hagen, Tracy Gullich, Laura Heeden, Meg for Mama Says, Rochelle Kennedy, Diana Goldman, Stacey Stokes, Ben Savage, Michael Kay, Holly Butler, Diana David Hughes, Connie Rogers, Claire England, Sally Robertson, Parm Ganchi, Amy Daly, Brian Tourville, Mark Jeffrey Johnson, Josie Dempsey, Karen Schmidt. Pamela Hayden, Emily Perryman, Olga Sidoroska, Alison Corbett, Richard Stone, Lauren Vaught, Evitable Musings, Erin Hasty, Sean Owen, Sagar Nayak, Erica Piedra, and Danielle Roberts for your generous support of the podcast. That's it for today. As always, be well, my friends.